Do you have the gift of singleness? No question makes singles more uneasy. No concept generates more confusion for singles. Ah, the gift of singleness, one single friend mused. Sometimes I wonder if it's like a Christmas gift you want to return. You know, you get that something from someone and you think, this is nice, but I'd rather have another sweater than this one. So writes um, Al She in this uh, little book from which I pinched the title of my uh, sermon, The, the Single Issue. Um, Al She has a massive advantage over me <coughs> when it comes to discussing this matter. He is single, or at least he was when he wrote the book. And by the way, his surname, just in case you're thinking of uh, ordering the book, his surname is, is spelt H-S-U. He's Chinese. It's um, pronounced Xi, he explains in the book. Hence, he's convinced that the Lord is going to give him eventually a wife named Sue. <laughs> well, he may be able to... Um, uh, speak with authority on, on singleness, but of course I am a contentedly married man. Listening to someone like me, uh, if you're single, is akin to um, uh, listening to a rather self-satisfied older brother lecturing his young siblings on Christmas Day about being grateful for their presence. It's all right for you, older brother. <coughs> you got the gift of your desires. I got these socks. Well, I take that, uh, that, that seriously. I know that it is easy for a married person to forget quite the struggles that we go through when uh, we are single. But I have sat and wept with enough people struggling with the issues of singleness that I hope I'm reasonably in touch still. And I want to encourage you as well, when, you, when we read 1 Corinthians 7, to remember that um, these are the words of a single man, at least single when he wrote 1 Corinthians 7. And uh, even behind <coughs> the single man, Paul, is the single man, the Son of God, Jesus. Uh, there may be some things that I say this morning that you think he's forgotten what it was like and may well be guilty of that. 19 years of marriage can dull the memory. But, if it's what the Apostle Paul says, take it seriously. Well, if you've been here over the last <coughs> few weeks, you'll know that... Um, uh, every time we've come to 1 Corinthians 7, we've noticed things that are applicable for single people. But the emphasis up to now has been <coughs> on marriage. We noticed, um, uh, remember that uh, Paul says at the beginning, sex and marriage is not the only thing. Before he goes on to explain how married couples should conduct one, one themselves sexually. We saw um, last week that Paul um, assumes that Christians will marry, should marry Christians. They must marry in the Lord. We saw before going on and 
examining some other issues pertaining to married people. Well, as the chapter goes on, the emphasis shifts. Actually, still there is lots that is applicable to to everybody, but the emphasis shifts towards focusing on addressing single people. And so, we are going to shift our focus and uh, look at this week and next, mainly at what the Apostle has to say to singles. And this morning, I want (coughs) just to um, point out two big things that he says, to all of us actually, but particularly to singles. First thing he says is glorify God as you are. Verse 17. Each should retain the place in life that the Lord has assigned to him, to which God has called him. This is the rule <coughs> I lay down in all the churches. He says this is, a, this is a, a fundamental principle and he starts to explain that it has extremely wide a- applicability. Fundamentally, Christians, if you're in doubt about changing anything, stay as you are, he says. I think that's enormously uh, valuable advice. If you're thinking about uh, missionary service, and until you have a reasonable, steady confidence in your heart, stay as you are. If you're thinking about moving a moving house, until you, <coughs> you're confident, stay as you are. We live in a constantly shifting society. Thank you, Elizabeth, that's very kind. We live in a constantly shifting society. (coughs) There is constant change for so many of us. We seem to have almost an addiction to change in our present society, but that dislocates us. Relationships get (coughs) terminated. Nowhere really feels like home. Now, of course, God does call some people to be uh, missionaries. He does call us from time to time to move house. He does call us to change uh, jobs. And, of course, he does call us to change from being single to being married. But we are not to be people who are only happy if we are moving on to the next thing, whose eyes are always on the next job, the next house, the next situation, the partner we might have. We are to seek fundamentally to find contentment now where I am. Let me do say that, <coughs> though, that there is a certain kind of person whom Paul is not addressing, I think. The, the anxious personality who frankly never is uh, um, sure about what the next move is and so finds themselves paralysed. Which job should I take? Which church should I belong to? Should I marry him? Should I go out with her? Perhaps... Perhaps those sorts of anxious personalities actually particularly need the advice of some good, trusted friends who will help them come to a position. Otherwise, they will never move on. Uh, There are also, um, um, frankly, people who 
never take difficult decisions about moving on, not because they're anxious, but frankly because they're lazy. Some people especially are spiritually lazy. Actually, they're always happy to move on to the, the better job, the next uh, um, uh, situation in their career path, but they, they're not happy to move on to the next spiritual challenge. If you know in your hearts of hearts that you should be moving on, don't be lazy. Paul's not elevating the principle of staying as you are to an absolute dogmatic rule. But he is saying, don't move on just because you think the next situation will bring happiness. Find contentment as you are. Some things, he says, frankly, are not as important as we might think. Verse 18. (coughs) Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what... uh, is what counts. It sounds a little foreign to us, but we must remember that there were many Christians in the first century who thought it was massively important whether someone was circumcised or not. Paul wrote whole letters to uh, to refute that, Um, and here he's just saying, it's not as big a thing as you think. Some things about your present circumstance may loom very, very large in your perception because of your background, because of your expectations, because of the way that you think. When they're actually not as big as you think. What matters is following Christ. Sometimes we just spend our lives wishing we were someone else. Follow Christ as you are, says Paul. For some things, we need to just learn a sort of dissatisfied contentment. That's the best way I can describe verse, what he says in verse 21. Where you were a slave when you were called, don't let it trouble you, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Slavery um, was a pretty difficult thing in the first century, perhaps not quite as difficult as... Uh, in the classic uh, uh, 17th century, 17th and 18th century slave trade, but uh, pretty difficult. But Paul says here, don't let it bother you. Don't let it poison your mind. Don't let it dwell in your thoughts if you are in that difficult situation. Put some different truths in your minds, he says. Get, 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 get Get a... a godly perspective on it. Verse 22, He who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freed man. Similarly, he who was free when he was called is Christ's slave. um, (coughs) Slavery and freedom amongst Christians is always relative, he says. 
Slaves, even if you stay as a slave in this world, are set free by Christ. You are radically free in Christ. No one can touch you. Free people, he says, you are not as liberated as the world might think. You too have an obligation. You are a slave to Christ. So don't obsess about your physical circumstances. Look at the way God sees you. And neither rejoice too jubilantly that you happen to be a free man, nor become too despondent that you happen to be a slave. You belong to Christ and that changes everything. Behind, you see, these illustrations of circumcision and slavery, Paul has issues of marriage in his mind. Our marital circumstances are not as big as we think they are. I know some people find that massively hard to see. But it is true. And seeing that and starting to live that is deeply liberating. Don't let your present frustration poison your mind, he says. Bring the truth of your status in Christ to bear. Are you single? You you are not unloved. Even if no one in this world loves you, and actually that's not true, but even if it were true, you are loved by Christ. Jesus Christ has devoted himself to you. He is now working out everything in your life so that he can shape you into the person that he wants you to be. He is preparing you to meet him face to face. You are betrothed to Christ and you will enjoy Christ in all eternity. Isn't that relativized singleness? Are you, are you single, single partly because you confined yourself just to looking at Christians and frankly the pool was much smaller and so the moment you end up alone. Remember something Jesus said. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or wife, and I take it that if he was addressing women he would say husband, no one who has left them or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus promises amazing compensatory blessings in this life for those who through their commitment to him have faced a real cost. Think about that. Seek it. Pray it. Pray for it. Ask God to do it in your life. For some people it takes time, but I have seen God do that again and again and again. He does compensate us for our losses in so many ways. We are not eternally losers if we have lost something for the sake of Christ. Verse 23, Paul sums it up. 
You were bought at a price. Don't become slaves of men. Don't think he means don't sell yourself into slavery there. I think he means don't actually become psychologically enslaved to your circumstances. You bought at a price. God paid the ultimate price in his son's death on the cross for you to set you free, to bring you to himself, to give you a status that nothing on earth could ever give you. Don't let yourself be enslaved. And he has set you free. But notice one thing I skipped over. Verse 21. Let's read it again. Though you were a slave when you were called, don't let it trouble you. Although if you can gain your freedom, do so. Again, in the case of a slave, sometimes it was possible to become free. Paul is quite open to us changing our circumstances. Maybe that applies to singleness. Look at verse 28, for instance. If you do marry, you've not sinned. If a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life. I want to spare you this. Paul has already said, and we looked at it on previous weeks, that marriage is not entirely automatically a bed of roses. He wants people to be clear about that. But he says, if you're convinced in your heart, if you're at peace with God, if it looks right for you to get married, then there is absolutely nothing stopping you setting out to find a partner. It is an honourable thing to do so. More and more single Christians use... um, Christian internet dating sites, for instance. And there is, there is nothing wrong with that. I think it's a very wise thing. Isaac wasn't ashamed that his father's servant had to be uh, sent off to find Rebecca for him. Now we have the even more efficient services of the, uh, of the internet. The best, uh, um, the, the best sites are pretty well established. They have good protocols, good advice about how to go about it and it works. It's no problem. I'm, I'm going to get Kate Blanche to put a link to a useful um, uh, article about internet dating if anyone's uh, interested. It'll come up on, on ePray. If you are confident after you've processed the things that the Apostle says about marriage and singleness and thought it through, if you have peace in your heart that this is the right thing to do, it is not wrong to seek to get married. But remember, this is what he's saying, remember this. Your life is not on hold until Mr. or Miss Wright comes along. That's the key. It's not on hold. Whether you are uh, married or single is a secondary issue 
Follow Christ today. Serve him today. Don't be enslaved in your heart thinking I cannot freely serve God today. You can. Those issues of your practical status are just not as big sometimes as we think they are. Serve him today. Glorify God as you are. And then Paul extends it, saying uh, something similar, but, but taking it even further. Don't be engrossed in this world, he says. Notice in uh, verse 26, Paul talks about the, the present crisis. And then in verse 29, he, he says, the time is short. And uh, many people have puzzled over exactly what he means by that. Some have suggested that perhaps there was a specific crisis in Corinth at the time. Perhaps, perhaps a, a famine which, which guided his advice to them. But the evidence is not strong for that. And there's no evidence in 1 Corinthians that the Corinthian church was facing such a crisis at that time. Other people have suggested that Paul was perhaps expecting that Jesus would return at any time. So his advice is based on the, on the idea that uh, Jesus was you know, going to probably come next year and, um, and therefore there was no point in marrying or even thinking about marrying. Just get on and serve God and wait for Jesus to come um, uh, within, the, within the year. They go on to say, of course, Jesus was, uh, Paul was wrong about that and therefore the advice is no longer of any great value. Well, it seems to me that the New Testament writers again and again um, say both that they expect that Jesus could come very quickly but frankly they don't know. If the Apostle had known that Jesus would take at least 2,000 years to return, I don't doubt that he would have adjusted his language a little bit and, uh, and, and explained more clearly that it was entirely possible that Jesus would take a long, long while to come. But his theology wouldn't have changed. Apostle Paul was quite clear that we live for as long as it takes now, we live in the last days. That's what the Bible calls it. The last days are a time when it feels more like a crisis. It feels more like the, day, the, the, the time is short. The Holy Spirit has now been poured out on all of God's people. Troubles and persecutions now in this period between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return will be worse, says the Bible, than had been experienced before. And uh, just the last hundred years of history with the, the genocide of Armenians, for instance, in, uh, uh, in Turkey or the extermination of Christians in North Korea or in Cambodia cannot help but make us think this is worse than Israel ever saw. We do live in a period 
when living as a Christian is more difficult and more exciting as well. Now all the truths of the Gospel have been set out clearly. Now repentance and faith is required of all people. The Apostle Paul put it when he was uh, speaking to Athenian philosophers in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. We live um, in what the Bible calls the last days. And Paul says, in those last days, Christians are absolutely free to marry or not to marry. But we are not free to settle down as if the world was eternal. To live as if there weren't any vital, urgent issues that needed to be addressed by all human beings. To think that our life was just about being born and growing up and working for a while and marrying and perhaps having children and growing old and dying. Life is about much, much more than that, the Apostle is saying. Every day we meet people who will face Jesus Christ within just a few decades at most and will have, a, have to give an answer for their, for their lives. Every day we have the opportunity to serve Christ, to store up eternal treasure in heaven, to find the joy and satisfaction of, of taking up our cross daily, of losing our, our life for Christ's sake, and so finding it, of discovering, of discovering in new ways the incredible truth that to live is Christ, to die is gain, of discovering what Paul describes as the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, of, of putting our head on the pillow at the night of every day and saying to God, for my weaknesses and sins today, Lord, please forgive me, but you and I know I lived for you today. We live in the moment when this is our calling beyond anything else, And life passes by at a frightening rate, you know. Don't bury yourself in the details and intricacies of this life and, and forget the great spiritual issues that are being presented to us every day in our lives. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they have none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not these to, theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. Paul is not saying... From now on, you don't have to uh, think about your marital duties at all, married people. He's saying that from now on, marriage cannot be only about finding pleasure in one another. It is also about standing shoulder to shoulder and serving Christ together as a married couple. 
he's saying uh, that uh, mourning and happiness, no, they're not to be totally ignored. But when Christians mourn now, he says, they go to Christ and he speaks into their heart, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When Christians are happy, they don't, they don't just live in that little, um, that little pool of happiness, that little, that, that little bit of light that is shone onto their lives. They enjoy being in that light and they turn their eyes up the beam of light to the source of that light. The Lord God himself. And they use the joy that God has given them in their hearts to go out there and serve God with newness of, 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 of perseverance and determination. Marriage is not the only thing. Mourning is not the only thing. Happiness is not the only thing. All of those fit into something much bigger and much grander in your life. The opportunity to know and love and serve the living God. Yes, and our financial situation as well. When Christians buy something, we don't, we don't clutch it to ourselves like, uh, like Gollum. We thank God for his gift and we use it to bring glory to Jesus. Those who buy something should live as if it were not theirs to keep. Christians then are in this world like every, uh, everyone else. We use the things of this world, as uh, Paul says in verse uh, 31. But we are not engrossed in the things of this world. We are engrossed in God. We can just get that in our hearts, you see. We can, in our hearts, rise above the difficult circumstances of our moment. Whatever those circumstances might be. And can serve Jesus as he wants us to. Glorify God as you are. Don't be obsessed about changing your circumstances. If it's right, you can pursue it. But don't be obsessed about it. Do not be engrossed in this world. Your calling and your status and your position is far, far greater than any of those other things that may label you. Whether it's rich or poor, happy or sad, married or single. Live intentionally for Jesus and he will sort out the rest of those things. The rest of embarrassing some people. Let, let me say we, we, um, 
uh, have an increasing number of, of people, especially single people in the church, who are choosing to live in intentional communities in the church. And I think that's just absolutely brilliant. You're not hanging around till we can finally form a, uh, uh, a marital home. We're saying, I'm going I'm I'm to use my home life, my domestic life, for Christ's glory. Judy and I both lived um, uh, when we were single in different kinds of Christian communities and for both of us as single people it was an enormous blessing to us and um, I think we dare to hope some blessing to, uh, to, to other people around us. Glorify God as you are. Use this world, but as not engrossed in it. Recognise your status is the most glorious status you could ever have. You belong to Jesus Christ. One sage has put it that we have all eternity to enjoy our victories. But only a few short decades to win them. And at every stage in our Christian life, there are victories to win. There are things to do for Christ. There are heart issues to wrestle with so that we can be people who when we meet Christ on the last day he says to us well done good and faithful servant and we can rejoice that at every stage of life Jesus was first